If you would take your Bibles and find Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and our text this morning is just going to be verse 21, although it's going to require some assimilating of the texts around it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this day and for the opportunity we have to come together and to worship you. We're thankful for the uh, rain that you send and the promise of uh, spring that follows. And uh, we know, Lord, in your word that you've compared that to your word. It says it always goes forward to accomplish your will. And so we ask, Lord, that you would bless the reading of your word and the proclaiming of it. Be with our hearts and minds today as we uh, seek to learn from your word and to worship you. Please forgive us of our sins, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So uh, I stand to speak to you this morning on a topic and purpose which I know will be personally challenging and I suspect will be wildly unpopular you are called to submit yourself to others. I'll point out to you first that, once again, it's, it's helpful when reading Scripture to avoid thinking about verse divisions as if they are single, individual thoughts. Look instead for punctuation marks. And if you do that, what you'll find is uh, this is our third message actually dealing with a single sentence. A few weeks ago, we dealt with verse 18, do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And then we moved on to verses 19 and 20, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the sentence continues. Submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. Now as a disclaimer, I want to warn you that at least half of the sermon this morning is introduction as the topic of uh, submission is one that generally gets drummed on only in one specific area of life and we need to have a more holistic approach. So I want to talk about this for a moment. The Refusal to submit to others is part of our depraved human nature, and it manifests itself in myriad ways. The word submit is seen by the world, and our American culture in particular, as essentially a dirty word, because we want to stand for our rights. We make it a matter of pride to be self-assertive. We celebrate the very idea of resisting authority. Men will not submit to others because they think it makes them less of a man. Women won't submit to their husbands because it makes them less than a man. Children won't submit to their parents because of the inherent rebellion nature, rebellious nature that is within all men. Employees resist being in uh, submission to the authority of their employers. Right? We've established this kind of prideful, self-assertive, unsubmissive society 
And then we act surprised to find that parts of society assert their sin as personal privilege and demand rights and insist on acceptance and express pride through the whole process. It has been jokingly suggested that one of the causes for our high unemployment numbers is the result of employee applications are now all done online. Potential employers or potential employees get to the end of the application process and there's only one thing left to do. There's this little button that says submit and they just cannot bring themselves to push it. Now I know most of you are well aware of the fact that in Ephesians 5, this word submit comes in several times. Specifically, you know that it's in regard to women submitting to their husbands. You'll see that in verse 22. But Paul does not start there, nor does he stop there, right? As we go through the rest of Ephesians 5 and 6, what we're going to see is that wives being in submission to their own husbands is an act of submission to the Lord. Husbands demonstrating self-sacrificial love for their wives is an act of submission to the Lord. The church is called to be subject, verse 24. That's the exact same word, by the way. To be subject to Christ, that is submission to the Lord. In chapter 6, verse 1, children are to obey their parents as an act of submission to the Lord. Parents loving and leading their children is an act of submission to the Lord. Servants being obedient to their masters is an act of submission to the Lord. He'll even say that a master's act of kindness and benevolence toward their workers is an act of submission to the Lord. It is often overlooked that where Paul begins with all these calls for submission, is the interaction between individual church members in Ephesians 5.21. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Our submission to one another in the congregation is an act of submission to the Lord. Now, since each of those acts of submission is ultimately an act of submission to the Lord, the unavoidable implication must be that refusal to submit to one another is not so much a refusal of human authority, it is actually rebellion against divine authority. The attitude of submission, it is in direct opposition to sort of the prevailing attitude of the world around us. It's in direct opposition to what we would want to do by nature. It is, however, entirely consistent with the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life is countercultural. This does occasionally create a dilemma because there are times when submitting to the Lord requires us to resist authority, right? But we'll find in Scripture that resisting authority is not in and of itself considered a Christian virtue. Instead, it is, it is to be avoided and only accepted as necessary when some authority commands us to do what God forbids or forbids us to do what God commands, right? And then at those moments and only at those moments, when we're put to that test, we can say with the apostles and Acts 5.29, we ought to obey God rather than men. But until 
we are actually put to that test, right? Until we are commanded to do what God forbids or forbidden to do what God commands, we're even to be obedient and in submission to the government under which we find ourselves. Listen to Romans 13 verses 1 and 2 for a moment. Paul writes in Romans 13 and 1 and 2, let every soul be subject, the same word, submit, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. By the way, when the Apostle Paul wrote that to the Romans, the highest ruling authority was the Roman emperor named Nero. A more wicked and vile man you would be, you would be challenged to find in history. Paul's command to Christians under the authority of a wicked government was to respectfully submit to that government's authority not to the extent of participating in wickedness or approving of evil, right? In that, we always have to obey the word of God. I mention this because in our modern, you know, sort of Americanized version of Christianity, there is a growing encouragement of resisting governmental authority whenever you feel that those in charge just happen to be too wicked to obey. Paul's admonition to the church at Rome to be in submission to Nero and his political appointees adamantly rejects the idea that our obedience and submission has anything to do with the moral character of those who are in charge. Your willingness or your unwillingness to submit to governmental authority is ultimately based on your obedience and submission to the Lord himself. When those authorities command us to do what God forbids or forbids us to do what God commands, then and only then are there biblical grounds for resisting that authority. And even that resistance, though, is to be done respectfully, direct, but respectfully. So let me just be specific here. Mocking some political official based on his age or mental deficiencies or skin and hair color or any number of other insulting reasons, that might get you likes from your friends on social media, but it is not going to earn you the approval of God. Here in Ephesians 5.21, it's not the Apostle Paul's purpose to command specifically submission to governmental authorities. He's, he's, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. We've learned in this letter what he's been writing about. He, he's been assuring the church that they are united in the Lord Jesus. You remember what he's been saying, right? That the Lord Jesus has abolished the enmity that exists between us. All those that the Lord Jesus has reconciled to God, he has reconciled to one another. He's brought peace to Paul says, you who were close to Jews and those who were far away, Gentiles, right? And as a church, we are fitly framed together so that he has said we have one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father and God of all who is above all and through all and in you all, right? You, you remember all this from earlier in Ephesians, right? 
because of that Christ-purchased, spirit-led, father-endorsed unity, there is no hierarchy of church leadership that Paul's describing here. Right? As Baptists, we leave popes and, and bishops and cardinals and, uh, and all, the, all of those whatnots to those groups that aren't going to obey God's commands through his word. I want to be careful here because I've said this in the past and it has been misunderstood. The hierarchy of church leadership does not look like a business's organizational chart. Right, where there's the pastor and then the, the other elders and then the Sunday school teachers and maybe a flow off where there's the church clerk and the treasurer. and you know, That's not what a church's organizational chart looks like. The authority of the church according to the Lord's design is as simple as this. Jesus is the head. Everybody else is under him. Of course, each of us submit to the Lord Jesus and submit to one another out of respect for the Lord Jesus. We're going to find that some are called to a kind of servant leadership within the church. If a man's called to leadership and refuses to accept that calling, he's not being subject to the Lord Jesus. And if a church sees that calling and is unwilling to accept it, the church is not being subject to the Lord Jesus. But even if a man does assume a role of leadership within the assembly, he is still subject to this command to every member of the church to submit yourselves to one another. So I want to be clear. It's not Paul's goal in Ephesians 5 to address how the church has to submit to its leaders. That is something he addresses elsewhere. But even when talking about church leaders... The message of Scripture is consistent and clear. Those those in authority in the church are to submit to the authority of the church. Listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5. He writes and says, The elders who are among you I exhort, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partakers of the glory that will be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, listen to this. All of you be submissive to one another and be clothed in humility for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So what Peter says there are elders are to shepherd the flock as overseers, not through force, but through willingness, not for dishonest money, but out of love, not as dictators, but as examples. And the reason why is because all of you be submissive to one another. That is exactly what Paul's saying here in our text. This one sentence, this spirit-led, worship-saturated assembly is going to submit to one another. The members of a church submit to one another. 
Okay, now that's just the introduction. I apologize if it's kind of long and meandering. It just seems like there's a need to adjust our attitudes in almost every sphere of life so that we adopt the calling of Christ. So what I want to do this morning is to try to define sort of why submission matters, what it, what it means, explain ways that it's misunderstood, and give some practical ways that it can be accomplished. And then in our second service, we'll actually try to look at sort of the, a beautiful picture of how it works. So let's define this idea of submission for a moment. The word submit is this Greek word hupotasso, and it, it, it is really, it's a military term. It means to arrange yourself under or to rank under, and it's used in military uh, uh, context to describe a soldier who sort of lines up under the authority of a commanding officer, right? For an army to work, they have to relinquish all selfish agendas and submit to the guidance of a leader. The same thing is true in the Lord's church. But then we have to ask, well, who is the leader? And there's two answers that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 5. The first answer tells us that the leader to whom church members are subject, to whom they submit, first are one another. That means the church as a whole has authority over you. Right? The second answer in our, is in verse 24, actually, where Paul says the church is subject, it submits to Christ. Now, both of those answers are good answers. They're both correct answers. We're not going to argue with the Apostle Paul here. As the church is subject to the Lord Jesus, every member of the church is subject to one another out of reverence for the Lord Jesus. In fact, just a note about verse 21, our text. The vast majority of ancient manuscripts actually read, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of Christ. Now, this is not a huge change. Christ is God. We don't usually think about Christ in the sense of fearing him, though. But that word fear means reverential awe. Submit to one another out of reverential awe for Christ. And that submission to one another is a product of your reverence and submission to him. Now, I hope that gives you sort of sufficient background that when I'm about to say this verse, verse 21, has been understood in three different ways, that you'll be ready to hear those and analyze and say which one of them is right and which ones are wrong. Right, We need to recognize the Holy Spirit intended meaning of the text as he guided the mind of the Apostle Paul. So here's three ways that this verse has been understood. First, there are some who use this verse in order to say that it eliminates all gender distinctions of leadership in homes and in the church. After all, you read this, the submit to one another, Right? We are all under the authority of one another. And then also you know that Paul writes in Galatians 3.28 that within the Lord's church there's no more Jew or Greek or male or female or slave or free for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Right? And so 
the idea in this is that, well, Paul is eliminating all gender distinctions in the home and in the church. Anybody can be in authority and be, uh, anybody can be submissive to others. That interpretation sort of strains the context of Ephesians beyond its scope. Now, no doubt, when every member of the church finds themselves being submitting to one another, that does include men and women submitting to one another. But just reading the rest of the chapter is going to tell us that it's not Paul's intention to eliminate gender distinctions in leadership as he is about to go on to describe how wives are to submit to husbands and husbands are to love wives, right? He sees that there's a difference. The second way this has been understood, some have argued that Paul is not talking about the church at all. Instead, he's like, he's just introducing this next section of his letter, right? He begins by encouraging submission and he goes on to describe what submission he's encouraging. So in that, it would only be wives to husbands and husbands to Christ and children to parents and servants to masters as the text goes on. This view makes more sense than the first one because it at least is paying attention to the context which follows. However, it seems to miss the context that precedes verse 21, right? Back in verse 19, when Paul encourages singing in corporate worship, he says, you are speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, The conclusion that we have to reach is that the same church members commanded to to be singing as an encouragement to one another in verse 19 is the same church members who are called to be mutually submitting to one another in verse 21. It's all one sentence, right? Verse 18 through verse 21. And so if the yourselves up in verse 19 is members of the Lord's church, then the yourselves in verse 21 is members of the Lord's church. So that brings us to the third view, and I'm confident this is correct. Every member of the Lord's church is commanded to embrace a mutual, loving, voluntary submission to one another, to the church as a whole, out of reverence to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't abolish gender roles or positions of authority within the church, while at the same time, it recognizes that every position of authority is responsible to be servant leaders, submitting to the church, because ultimately, every leader's authority is delegated authority. It's by the congregation as a whole. Y'all, please listen to me carefully here. We, we here at Beverly Manor consider ourselves to be part of a large group of the Lord's churches, which we label with a bunch of adjectives. Usually they are sovereign grace, landmark Baptist. And I don't mind any of those adjectives. I have no problem defining and defending each one of those adjectives we use to describe ourselves, both historically and biblically. However, Within that group of churches as a whole, there are those who love to stress what we call church authority, but they do so with little concept of what the word authority 
means, what, what authority the, the word of God actually ascribes to a church. As a result, there are churches that insist on, well, every church is independent and authority exists within the congregation, but yet they have somehow developed this hierarchy of leadership where specific men exercise sort of authoritarian control over a church and not only their own church, but also other churches they feel connected to. While pastors and elders are called to lead the church by teaching the word, there is no church member, including pastor or elder, who is exempt from the authority of the church as a whole. This mutual submission among church members, even those who are in authority, not only expresses reverence for the Lord Jesus, but it's also an expression of obedience to the Lord Jesus. This isn't just what Paul commands, it is what Jesus himself commands. Do you remember the story of James and John, the apostles? In the Gospels, James and John come to Jesus, or another account, they actually are so sneaky, they send their mother's mother to Jesus to ask, you know, when, when you are sitting on your throne, let us have the authority, right? Let one of us be on your left hand and one of us be on your right hand. It was a kind of self-assertive power grab And it caused division among the disciples of Christ. Listen to Jesus' answer to this. This is from Mark 10, starting at verse 41. When the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. I would think so. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Isn't Jesus' answer telling them, you're thinking the way the world thinks, and that's not what it's supposed to be among you. Even the greatest leaders in the church aren't ruling dictators. They'll prove their leadership by being servants to the church. That's the example he came to set. And in him setting that example, would any of you dare say that he was anything less than the sovereign Lord and King? And yet he proved his greatness through service and then calls us within his assembly to that same ideal. Submit to one another. Be in submission to one another. This brings us to our second point. Submission misunderstood. One of the reasons our society and our fallen natures hate the idea of submission is that we have convinced ourselves that to submit to someone is to admit that you are inferior to them. This is a regretful understanding of both the idea of submission and the idea of authority. And in order to explain that, let me remind you what we know about God himself. 
God exists in three persons, right? There is God the Father, there's God the Son, there is God the Holy Spirit. And they are distinct and they are equal. And in that equality, the Lord Jesus, God the Son, came into this world as a display of submission to God the Father, right? Continually said, I have not come to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And in John's gospel, I think it's like 45 times, Jesus expresses he's only following the Father's orders, to which the Father responds, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So the Father shows authority and the Son exercised submission, Right? While Jesus continually expressed his submission, right, I've come to speak what my Father commands. At the end of John's Gospel, he proclaims the, the promise of the Holy Spirit and said the Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth and he will not speak of himself, but what he receives of me, that is what he'll speak. And so in this case, Jesus shows authority, and the Holy Spirit shows submission. And let me ask again, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are equals, right? And in that equality, there are expressions of authority and expressions of submission. So within the Godhead, exercising authority does not destroy equality, nor does willingly submitting destroy equality. Both submission and authority are good, and that's proven by the fact that both submission and authority are expressed by God himself. See, in our minds, submission equals inferiority, and equality equals superiority. But the biblical exercise of both authority and submission according to the design of our all-wise God is not to say, well, this one is inferior and this one is superior. Remember from our really long introduction that every expression of submission is ultimately an expression of submission to the Lord, right? So both submission and authority, when exercised biblically, recognizes there is only one who is really superior, and that is God himself. It may help us to remember in this specific text, in verse 21, it is expounding only one area of submission and authority, but the Bible as a whole defines several other areas as well. And so we've talked about some of them already, but let's identify Five areas where the Lord has ordained authority and briefly discuss why this has happened. First, there is the submission to the authority of the Lord Jesus himself. Every statement of Jesus as Lord is admission that he is master and we are his servants. We submit to his sovereign authority. This is a fundamental requirement for all those who know Jesus as Savior because it's only whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We submit to his authority first and foremost and only submit to the other authority as an expression of our submission to him. 
A second kind of authority is submission to the authority found in government. And we've talked about this. We've noted Romans 13 earlier. Be subject to the governing authorities. There's only one authority. That is God himself. And they are in authority because God has placed them there. Paul goes on to explain those rulers exist in God's design to maintain order by punishing evildoers. He goes on to say, so pay your taxes. He goes on to say, give honor to those authorities. Now, as we've said, if they, we submit to them unless they tell us to, you know, they command us to do what God forbids or forbid us to do what God commands. And if they do that, then we will resist. But even that resistance is an expression of submission to Christ himself. A third kind of authority that's ordained by God is the submission to the authority found in the church. That's what Paul's addressing in our text. Be in submission, you know, submit yourselves to one another in the fear of God. Again, you see submission to God is primary. But obedience to the authority of the church is obedience to God himself. So within the congregation, every member, including pastors, are to submit to one another in voluntary, loving, humble authority. Uh, Submission, sorry. A fourth kind of submission God's ordained is the authority found in the family. We'll have a lot more to say about this in future weeks, weeks, since that's where Paul's about to go next. In verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord, because submission to that authority is ultimately expression of submission to the Lord. Right? In verse 25, husbands, love your wives self-sacrificially. The authority within a family also includes in chapter 6, verse 1, children obeying parents. In chapter 6, verse 4, fathers uh, leading their children in godliness. There are multiple ways God's design for authority and submission work in a family. And we'll flesh those out in later later weeks. But for now, I do want to just make one note. It is within the family. Wives, you'll note, are called to submit to their own husbands, not to every man walking down the street. Husbands are to express self-sacrificial love for their wives, not to every woman that they take a fancy to, right? There's this contained authority and submission. This makes sense. Just like with, if we're talking about governmental authority, you're not called to be in submission to the king of Siam. He's not an authority over you. That's not the governmental authority you have to obey. When we apply this reasoning to a church, we also understand that submitting to one another means within the assembly that you are a part of, you do not have to submit yourself to every whim of evangelical Christian churchianity that exists out there in the world. This call to submit to one another is the one another's here in this congregation. The fifth kind of authority is submission to the authority found in the workplace. And again, more of this in the future because Paul mentions in uh, Ephesians 6 verses 5 through 9, he explains sort of the proper authority and submission of servants and masters. Each of these systems of authority and submission are created by God's own design for a purpose. 
And of course, the purpose of each one deserves some careful consideration, but we might generalize all of them into saying that it is designed to provide safety, stability, and structure. So think of this. When we review Old Testament history, what happened in the leaderless nation of Israel? What was the ultimate result of everyone just doing what was right in their own eyes? What happens within a family without godly, organized structure? Are are fatherless families prone to find themselves with more safety? Do rebellious children produce uh, family stability? And what about authority in the workplace? Like what would happen at Caterpillar if, you know, in the absence of some chain of command and purposeful design, like if every worker from the engineer designing tractors to the assembler producing them, if they all just did whatever they thought looked right? You wouldn't end up with very good tractors, right? Authority and submission is God's design to prevent chaos. So as long as it follows the biblical God-ordained pattern, both submission and authority are good for us, providing safety and stability and structure. As that applies to the text here, submitting to one another in the Lord's church, what happens in the Lord's church where someone insists that it's their way or the highway? What happens in a church where where some members resist the will of the majority? Let me say, it would be great if everything we decided was by unanimous consent, but that's just sort of unrealistic, right? Or worse yet, think about this. Worse yet, what happens in a church where a membership is in agreement and does submit to one another, but they don't do it in fear of God because in the process of being agreeable to one another, they're no longer being obedient to the word. Submission and authority are good for us, but only as ultimate expressions of submission to God and the authority of his word to direct our lives. So let's talk about how submission is accomplished. And Tom Rainer, some some of y'all have read stuff by Tom Rainer. He's sort of a church health expert in Southern Baptist churches. He put out an online survey asking for people to describe to them their experience of what has caused churches to split. And among the results that he got, Rainer noted there was an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. There was a fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the same land for a cemetery. A dispute of whether or not to construct stall dividers in the women's restroom. Y'all, you got to think about that one for a second. What kind of weird people are against stall dividers? There was a 45-minute argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase, including what color and how many drawers, a dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during service, a fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer, and my reaction to that is whoever the photographer was who took the picture, let him decide. 
business meeting arguments about whether a church should purchase a weed eater or not, an argument over who has the authority to buy postage stamps for the church, a disagreement on whether you could use the term potluck for a fellowship meal. You've heard that one before, right? Whether to sing happy birthday every week, every month, or even ever at all, and a church argument to vote and decide if the clock in the sanctuary should be removed. And I think that had to be the long-winded pastor's idea. Suffice it to say, within congregational-ruled churches, individuals have been known to get their dander up and protest and object and dispute about just about anything. But the point being, there is not a thus saith the Lord about any of those things, right? If there is, it's going to be in like first or second hesitations. I'm not sure where to go to find it. Ultimately, there is a time and place for passionate discussion within the assembly, but they ought to be over matters of eternal importance, over matters that do have a clear thus saith the Lord. And even when those issues arise, our our attitudes ought to be one of mutual, voluntary, loving submission, not self-assertiveness or attempts to grasp authority. To accomplish that, the only way to accomplish that in practice demands that we obey the word of God following through with what Paul commands here. Not just in this verse, but in the whole sentence. You remember at the beginning of this, it's been a while, it's all one sentence from verse 18 through 21, right? So in verse 18, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, because living under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God will successfully allow us to be in submission to one another. Also in verse 18, we are a congregation of believers, so all of us ought to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. In verse 19, our experience with being Filled with the Holy Spirit is not some personal, individual experience. It is expressed in congregational worship and singing. It's in verse 20, displayed in our thankfulness to God in all things through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 21, it's displayed in mutual, voluntary, loving submission to the congregation as a whole, to one another as an expression of voluntary and loving submission to God himself. Now, that'll be, I'm not calling that part one, (laughs) but in the second service, I want to try to look at an example in a church to see what this looks like and just how, how beautiful it is.